Mama, I got bad news. Bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes. Bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hey, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange, and today I am joined by Tina Shelmy from... Somewhere in Arkansas. I can't remember the name of the town now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Tina has a daughter, and she has been a conscripted soldier in the fight against addiction alongside her daughter, Jennifer. And we'll let Tina tell her story, of course, that way. So she wanted to come on and tell her story, and I'm really glad that you did. Tina, how are you today? And thanks for coming on the show. I'm really good, and thank you for having me. Um I'm from Hot Springs. Okay. Hot Springs. I'm sorry. You told me like a minute ago, right? Like, geez. <laughs> Let's just get right into it. You know, oh. I don't wish what I've gone through in the last three years on anyone. About three years ago then, when, when Jennifer first started to go off the rails? Yeah. It, was, it was almost four years ago when we started suspecting she was using drugs. We weren't sure what type of drugs. Uh, but we were suspicious. Uh, Jennifer has been an alcoholic since she was not even 21. She was sneaking beer and alcohol, but she was what they called a binge alcoholic, where she could go two or three weeks without a drink, but when she did, it was guzzle it as fast as she could to get that high and drink as much as she could till she was literally obliterated you know just no longer in the world for the night but about four years ago things really took a change how do you mean took a change with alcohol it the the only time we had to deal with the stress and the uh, horrible behavior would be the night she was drinking. But it got to where we noticed she was having horrible behaviors, but you couldn't smell alcohol on her breath. And so you're like, she's not drinking. I don't smell it, you know. Uh, But Jennifer has always had a really low self-esteem. She grew up really heavy. Right. And I am nowhere blameless in this. I grew up what most people call chunky, not obese, but chunky. And so it was really hard on her when I noticed her, even when she was little, getting chunky and heavier because I didn't want her to get picked on. Uh, because kids are cruel, and I didn't want her to get bullied and picked on like I did for that reason, so I tried my best to make sure she didn't. Uh, and I think I made it worse, but she always had a really low self-esteem about that. And, um, you know, I think that's one reason why she drank so much is because 
you know, when you're in your teenage years, girls really develop crushes and most girls just want to have a guy that's going to love them forever. And, you know, the classic fairy tale type thing. And she didn't have that because so many of the guys couldn't get past her weight. But she she ended up having gastric bypass surgery. But she always, even as skinny as she got, and she got very, very thin. Uh, she always felt like she was big. And so her self-esteem never improved with that. And then... Um, she got pregnant with my first grandson, and he was born a fetal alcohol baby. And um, he'll be 15 next month. So, you know, and he's been with us since he was not quite two. Jennifer's priorities have never included her children. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that to be cruel. It's truth. They were way down her list of priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the time, you know, and their dads too, uh, higher up on dads than hers, but still not where they should be. And, um, and then about four years ago, like I said, things started getting just more hard to live with and more difficult to deal with her or, or, or elsewhere at this point. She's, she's lived with me 90% of her life. Uh, she's, she's never really been where she wanted to. She's very spoiled. She was the only girl with three boys. And um, she never wanted to work. Uh, she's always wanted someone else to support her. And so she's basically always lived in our home. Even, uh, you know, once she, you know, had... Um, our oldest grandson and um, she got pregnant with Mark. Um, She told us about it on her birthday and she was so drunk. She could hardly talk. And she come out telling me about how she was pregnant. And I said, you are. And she said, yes. And I said, well, you're doing that baby a lot of good with all that alcohol you're pouring in your system. Because she was still drinking. She had been up all night drinking. And it was no longer her birthday. It was the day after. Um, And I'm like, "Um, I'm sure that baby doesn't care, you know, that it's your birthday and you're wanting to celebrate. Why are you pouring that stuff down your throat? You know, I'm not going to anymore. You know, it's the same, always the same so, but Jennifer had gained about 214 pounds and she was pregnant. And as the months went on, she wasn't gaining weight. She was losing and things were bothering me so bad that I called her, uh, OB and you know, they won't tell you anything, but I told them I was concerned about drugs. And in their roundabout way, they told me they were too, uh, because she was constantly rescheduling appointments and they were doing drug tests every time. The confirmation kind of came when Mark was born. Um, he was small, but he wasn't a fetal alcohol baby. Uh, 
and he tested negative for drugs, thank the Lord. But she had lost 60 pounds during her pregnancy. And uh, it it was the classic, you know, I've, I've learned so much about meth in the last three years that I just call it the classic meth syndrome. And I expect people to know because I have found out that so many things that I thought were not normal are completely normal. I think I'm the only one that uh, my daughter has cussed. And I hear so many parents talk about they can't believe their daughter talked to them that way or their son, you know, did this. Or And Mark came home from the hospital the day after he was born and she left and went out and got high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stayed with us and he's been with us ever since. And he'll be three in like September. Good thing that he has been right yeah. For the last three years, we have literally walked on eggshells. It was like a ticking time bomb in our house. You you never knew what would happen from one day to the next. She was very volatile. Yeah. Uh, very just filthy mouth. Uh, physically abusive, mentally abusive to us, not to her children, but to her dad and I. And I became her number one enemy. And I don't know why. Uh, all I've ever done was love her. And she has told me things that she thinks she remembers that are just absolutely ludicrous, you know. And I don't know if it's the drugs messing with her mind. She, she yeah. hears voices. And the voices she hears are dangerous. They tell her to do dangerous things. Um, it affects everybody so wildly different, right? Uh, you know, that for myself, it never really did anything for me. But the guy beside me tries it, and he's a ninja giraffe for the next six hours, right? Like the the, the spectrum on what it can do to people is wild. But the real problem comes from the no sleep. Our brains aren't meant to stay awake for six days, seven days, eight days, ten yeah. days at a time, and that's where the crazy comes in. Right, and I don't care if what drug you're on. If you're on no drugs, if you stay up for ten days at a yeah. time, you're gonna start. You're gonna start losing your mind, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's specifically yeah. about meth. Is and I'm just speaking anecdotally from my own experience here, Tina. And maybe I'm just trying to maybe help you understand a bit more. Um, it makes people. What I pick up on was it makes people see, grab connections that aren't there, and 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 they see things like connections between events and people and things. It, that are, are just so unbelievably true and, and, and vivid to them that it is, that's gospel and that's it. That is what's happening. And there's just no talking sense, you know, so that it, yeah. you know, it sounds exactly what you're, what you're describing anyway. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I took her to the mm-hmm. ER last year mm-hmm. and I told them she was on drugs and of course they ignored me. But I had to take her to the ER because she said her ears were killing her, screaming, and she was high. Oh. She had taken, you know, ink pens that have got the little rubber tip for a stylus on the end of them. Oh. That you can turn them into a stylus if you don't want them for an ink yeah. pen. Yeah. 
She had taken the rubber tips off two of those stylus and stuck them in her ears because the voices in her head told her she could hear them better if she would do that. Jesus. And I don't know how long they had been in her head, but, you know, they had gotten so infected, her ears were just causing her tremendous pain. And, you know, we've watched her walk around grabbing her ears and talking to herself like she's trying to hear them better. And on her birthday, no, not her birthday, my birthday, last year, I found her two days before my birthday. I found her in the floor in her bedroom. She was completely unconscious. She was barely breathing. I and I couldn't find my stethoscope. I couldn't find anything. So I grabbed my husband's blood pressure cup and I said, well, at least I can get a heart rate with that, you know. And of course, I called an ambulance and the police showed up and they hit her twice with Narcan. But from what I can gather, Narcan's only if, you know, it's opioids or something. And she was, she barely had a pulse. I don't know if she would have died that day or I don't know. Did the Narcan bring her around? No. No? Okay. Okay. So then, yeah. No, it didn't. Uh, And he hit her twice with it. And when... uh, you know, when he hit her with the second dose and she didn't respond, he called the ambulance and told him to speed it up, which just scared me that much more. And um, they had to shock her heart to get it back in rhythm. They had to intubate her so that they could breathe for her. And I took pictures of all of this. And on my birthday, they they took the... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's hard thinking about it. Uh, They took the uh, tube out to where she could breathe on her own, and she was Mm semi-conscious. And I remember thinking, Lord, this is the best birthday I've ever had. Because I almost lost my child. And I showed her those pictures because I thought maybe I could shock her into it, you know, shock her into seeing what she's doing to herself, not just everybody else, but herself, you know, and anytime I've ever tried to confront her and ask her to go to rehab or ask her to get help, I've been called. I can't say the names that I've been called. They, uh, you know, bitch and whore is just, that's lightweight words. You know, I've been called F and C and I was screwing her boyfriend and she hated my guts and she was going to kill me. And, you know, next time I saw her, I'd be dead. And, you know. And all this time, people are telling me you need to call the law. You know, she's threatening to kill you, Tina. And I'm like, she's not really going to do that. And they said, no. 
But say, you don't know that. You know, this isn't Jennifer. This is meth talking. And you don't know if she would or not. Well, a couple of months after the overdose, she got mad at me for something. And she physically attacked me. And I never thought either one of my children would ever put their hands on me. And she's so skinny because of all the meth use. And I'm still chunky. <laughs> so what I would do is I'd get my husband to call the police. And I would literally just wrap her up in my arms so that she couldn't swing at me and hit me. And even when she did, it didn't hurt because she had no power. Yeah. Yeah. But she was just crazy. And, you know, her child, my 15-year-old grandbaby, these kids are like mine. I wanted to be a grandparent. I didn't want to be another parent. I'm 61 years old now, you know. But her 15-year-old would get so mad. And he would just shake and he would clench his fist and just shake and cry and scream about how he hated her. And he and I'd be like, maybe you can't, you know, your your mama's not well. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I was trying to make an excuse for her because I don't want them to hate her. Of course not. Yeah. And I know deep down they probably don't. But. You know, when she attacked me, I got worried that Trey was going to try to attack her. Wow. And I certainly didn't want that. And uh, this happened four times. Wow. And, the, and I told her the fourth time. I said, the next time you put your hands on me, I said, I'm going to whoop you. I said, I have not fought you back because you're my child. But the next time, yeah. you know, yeah. then I had to have emergency surgery and my gallbladder removed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Yeah. But the day after my surgery, I came home and she slapped me. Jesus. And I know I'm trying, I know I'm making this seem not very dramatic at all but chris we're talking about every day of the world yeah every day yelling and screaming and calling filthy names and slamming things around and throwing things breaking things just you know stealing oh my god stealing anything she could get her hands on you know, and just, it was that everyday thing. And and I know I'm probably just, you know, hitting the high spots or whatever. But if you could imagine someone screaming and cussing at you and throwing things and breaking things because uh, 
you know I don't like bacon when I was cooking breakfast one morning. Wow. Wow. I don't like bacon. You know I don't. And I'm like, well, Jennifer, I'm sorry. You know, we didn't have any sausage, (laughs) you know. And um, so I got a skillet thrown at me, you know. And um, (sighs) it was just, and then screaming and cussing, going down the hall and slamming doors and walking down the driveway, screaming and cussing at me. And, you know, thoroughly embarrassed and thoroughly you know, humiliated, but she, uh, she just, she never, she has yet to admit that she even has a problem. Oh, geez. She won't. I found her meth pipe one night and I called the police Mm -hmm. and they told me there was nothing I could do about it or they could do about it because it was a he said, she said type thing. Yeah. And uh, since I'm the one that found it, they, she could say that wasn't hers. Yeah. You know? So I said, well, what do I do with it? I don't want it around here. Yeah. And they told me to just bust it up and throw it in the trash. Yeah. And um, so that's what I did. But I took a picture of it before I did that, so I could prove to her I found it. Yeah. Uh, the truth is, if something doesn't change, I'm going to bury my child. Oh. I'm going to quit being. I'm going to quit being one of the mothers that are praying and asking God to help their children. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to become one of the mothers that are on your Memorial Monday. I sure hope it doesn't come to that. You know? yeah. 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 It, it's not the natural progression of life no, to not. bury your child. No, I, hope she can. I don't yeah. see my child. I look at this person mm-hmm. and I don't even see my child anymore. She doesn't even look like my child. I don't see my child's gone. And it's like she's demon possessed and devil possessed. It's, I tell people all the time, I think I even texted you. I call meth. It is Satan in the form of a shiny little crystal or however tiny they become. And I've never seen some some kind of drug so evil. And now I I don't know about the rest of the country, but down here, it's getting to the point to where they're mixing it so bad with fentanyl. Yep. It's it's there. That they say it's hard to find pure meth that's not cut with fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people dying from fentanyl. I had to kick her out of my house in March. I couldn't take any more. Mm-hmm. I had lived this life of every day cursing and every day threatening and every day getting high. And I didn't know where she was getting the money from until I figured out most of my jewelry was gone and, you know, stealing from us. And, uh, you know, 
I uh, I lived it for over three years, yeah. Yeah. and I you know I finally couldn't live it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I made her leave. I had to call the police to get her out. And I made her leave in March. Yeah. And the first of April, I got an attorney. And I took permanent custody of my two grandkids. Well, thank God for that. You know. And the judge has been the judge has been really rough on her. Yeah. And I didn't ask them to do that. I guess they're just all so tired. Yeah. Of dealing with drugs, you know. Yeah. And I'd get so mad. Okay. The phone won't ring for a week. Yeah. And so by the end of that week, is she dead? Yeah. Uh, would they call me if they found her dead? What if she lost her ID and they didn't know who she was? So she's laying somewhere dead as a Jank Doe. Um, uh, can't imagine having to deal with those thoughts. It's all the time. Uh, it's anytime she's not here anytime i don't see her yeah it is she dead you have to wonder right and i can't i can't stop thoughts i wish i knew the answer i just wished i could fix it i've always been the fixer in the family Everybody always comes to me. Yeah. yeah. My parents, after they got older, my husband, my kids, everybody. Yeah. And I can't fix this. And I don't know what to do. Because well, I want to fix it. That. You know? I, yeah. I know this is crazy. And people that hear this will probably thought I've lost my mind. But I even thought about, well, let me try it. Oh, no. I've never done drugs in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let me try it so I could see what it is about that. Yeah, well. That makes you lose and makes you walk away from everything. Yeah. What is it so, you know, what is so much about this drug that makes you not care if you lose anything as long as you still have it? So, you know, you don't care if you have a child. You don't care if you have a family. And it's something I've I've tried to um, something I've tried to explain to people who have loved ones in addiction is that they're not choosing the drug over anything. They're not choosing over their son, their their kids, over their parents. It's not the way it works. There is the drug. So, if uh, the way I say it is if you imagine you're in a house and you're in the living room with the drugs and the kids, the parents, the, everything else matters is in a room on the other end of the house behind a locked door and you don't even, it doesn't exist to you. So you're not choosing anything over that because that is not a part of the equation, right? Because it's just the drug. And the odd time, and, and here's the thing, Tina, and from my personal experience, the odd time you get your shit together enough to go unlock that door and look in, the shame just kicks you right back out. 
our brain, though it's just how to deal with things like shame, we get high. So it's this just, it's this horrible cycle. And, and, and the thing is, as the loved one, there's literally nothing you can do that has to come from within them. That they're in that, in that circle, that's a snake eating its tail, that the drugs cause the depression, the depression causes the drugs back and forth. There's literally nothing you can do. And, and, and it, you have to, you have to find, I hope, I hope that you can find some comfort in that, in, in that you are not going to, you, 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 you can't fix it. You can just be there for when she's ready to fix it. Say, that's all you got, you know, as horrible as that is, is an answer, but. I know that I can't fix it, but, uh, trust me, if I could, by what I've done, it would have been fixed because I've tried everything I could, you know, she, she thinks that I kicked her out because I don't care about her. And that's not true. You know, I kicked her out because we had to survive and we weren't surviving. She was pulling us down with her. She was pulling her children down. My lawyer, you know, I can't talk about Jennifer without at some point in time crying because she's the one child I never thought I'd ever have a problem with drugs with. And uh, when I went to the lawyer to get custody, he asked me, he said, if you and your daughter were in the lake drowning and I could only save one of you, which one would you want me to reach? And I said, my daughter. He said, okay. He said, what if I told you your grandchildren were on the other side of the boat, the same lake? Then where? Who would you want me to reach? I said, my grandkids. He said, exactly. He said, you can't save her. You're the only one that she could only save herself, but you could save those grandbabies. So that's what I did. And, uh, I, uh, I don't, uh, Chris, I get so tired. I just want to throw my hands up and go, I don't know. You know, it sounds cruel. Uh, but I have prayed and I have asked, I've asked God to do whatever he had to do to make her better or, or to take her from this world because how much longer can she live like this? Everybody says she's got to hit her rock bottom. Well, what is that? It's already living on the streets and you know, what is rock bottom? How much more has she got to go? How much lower has she got to go? You know, I can't let her come back here. I couldn't trust her, you know, any further than I could pick her up and throw her. Because Jennifer's a good manipulator and she knows all the right words to say. She's sitting in jail right now. And, uh, well, that's probably the best thing for her at this point. 
I've had more peace and quiet <laughs> than I've had in three years since she's been in jail. How long has she been in jail? Because I know a month she was on probation for drugs. Well, I don't know. She goes Friday for her plea hearing. Uh, she's got it in her head that they're going to let her out on her own recognizance. And I don't believe they will because she was already on probation for drug paraphernalia. And they revoked her probation. And then she's got new drug charges. And this time she's got theft by receiving. She has no idea what that even is. So she was probably so high, she don't even know what it is. And the times I've called the policeman, I've never gotten a call back. I guess, you know, she's 38 years old now. You know, they don't want to tell mama. But, uh, and I'm like, how many people wait till they're 35 years old to start doing drugs, heavy drugs? I mean, aren't you, haven't you been there, done that, over it, and grow it up by then? Oh, it only worked that way, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know. I know that I took a ball back to her. And now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand. Hi listeners, this is Lena. I'm part of the Ashes to Awesome team and co-hosted on episodes 76 and 67. Do you carry Narcan, also known as Naloxone? If not, perhaps you should. The kits are not only compact and easy to use, they are free at all harm reduction centers and a lot of pharmacies. By carrying one of these kits, you could save the life of somebody who loves and that is loved. I get that most of you never plan on being around opioid use, but there's no telling when it could be around you. I can't think of a good reason not to have it, and if you're not sure where to find it for free, send us an email at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com legwork for you and find it for free in your area. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Because the night she... The night that I, uh, the night that she slapped me after I had had my surgery the day before, I told her, I said, I can't bite you. My, st-, you know, I don't know how many stitches in my stomach and stuff, because there was other things too, but yeah. I went in my grandson's room and got his baseball bat. And I just grabbed it up long ways and pushed her as hard as I could with it until she fell down. And I told her, I said, you touch me again, ever again. And I will beat the living hell out of you. You don't ever put your hands on me again. You know, uh, I just, I wish I could describe how bad it is. I wish I could find the words. I don't want. I mean, I just wish I could get people to understand just how bad it is. It's it's not something that could be sugar-coated. It's not something that you could just close your door to your room and it'll go away. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I just, I don't know anything else. I just, I know I miss my child. <laughs> and, uh, but I know who there is now. The girl in jail sounds like my child. Yeah. You know, she even sounds different. Mm. It's been so long since she's been high that she sounds like her old self in jail. Yeah. Mm. And she's saying everything right. She oh, I've got all this list of places. I'm going to go to a rehab and I'm going to this. I'm good at that. Maybe they'll let me out on my own recognizances so I can go to rehab. And hmm. and I'm like, I hope so, baby. Hmm. I said, that's the best thing I've heard you say in a long time. Hmm. And I try to encourage her. I don't want her to, because my true feelings or whatever, girl, you know good and well, you're just trying to play everybody like you always do. You know, when she got out of jail the last time, you know, she had failed to appear in court. So they locked her back up and I made her sit because I'm not bailing her out. You know, they put an ankle monitor on her and the day she got the ankle monitor off, she went out and got high. But while she had that ankle monitor on, she was going to do this and she was going to get a job and she was just, you know, her whole life was going to turn around. And that's what she's talking now. I've listened to some of your podcasts. And what's crazy about it is none of us know each other. But we all have the same story. There's so many similarities. I just don't want to build your memorial Monday. <laughs> If me getting on here and acting like a crying, whatever, like a, like a mother who's at her wit's end, you know, that's that's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to to, to be, you know. Yeah. Just one person yeah. would get sober from this. It would fill my heart with so much love and happiness. Yeah. Because I just, since I've had to deal with this with Jennifer, I just want to grab every addict I see and hold them and love them and tell them, you know, let's get you better. And you know, the sad thing is, is I'm probably like, yeah, I'm probably like most people. I didn't even pay attention to addicts till I had one jerk up and slap me in the face because she's mine. You know? She's my child. You know. So much to addiction. It's not just somebody having a good time. Like why would There's anybody no choose, words. You know, why, why would anybody choose to live the life she's living? Like, it, nobody would choose that. It doesn't make sense. So there's obviously more to it. And, yeah. and you know, if nothing else, I mean, I'm glad that you understand that. I'm, I'm glad you seem to have a really good understanding for somebody who's, you know, being alongside it and not actually in it. That's what it's about. I've had to learn so much. I can only imagine, you know, as far as hoping somebody gets sober, I, I, I don't even try for that anymore. But, but my darling, 
what I can guarantee you is that there is a mom and at least know that somebody else gets it too. Yeah. Right? And that for me is where the power in the show comes from. People don't, um, people who are in active addiction don't typically sit down and listen to podcasts about sobriety, right? They, they just don't. No. But their loved ones do. Because they're like me. Those are, that's that's the people that we get to connect with and help. Right? I found you yeah. looking for help for me mm-hmm. to help to how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad I did. <sighs> and your podcast does matter. Oh, and it too. does help. And uh, oh, thank you. Thank you for that. It just, I just know that I don't have the words to express how truly it makes you feel. If you could if you could picture your child dead, even though they're still alive and breathing, that's how it feels to a mother with a child with addiction. It's like they're dead, but they're still alive. Uh, I don't, I don't know what I think about calling it a disease. I, I even now, even with Jennifer going through that and with alcoholics, I know they consider it a disease. It it may be I guess it is, and I don't not try to offend anyone by saying this that thinks it's that way. But I look at it as a, a, a disease as something that you don't deliberately put in your body to cause harm. Cancer heart disease, Parkinson's disease, stuff like that. This thing, this, uh, the coping, the substance, we're not using it to cause harm. We're using it to cope. We're using it to fix something. And that's the difference. It is, it's, it's, a, it, it's your brain. It, so it, it's not, you're not harming yourself. At least that's not what you're telling yourself, right? That's not what your brain believes. Your, your, your brain is... It's formed a neural loop now. So I get stressed, this is how my brain wants to deal with it. If I get angry, this is how my brain wants to deal with it. And it, and it takes years to retrain that that loop. Right. So, um, and, and I'll suggest to you and, and anybody else that's listening in for the first time, we have, uh, we're, we're doing three episodes a week now. Um, Wednesdays. We have Kaleidoscope Wednesday with Ryan Bathgate, who is a gifted, charismatic, and passionate therapist with the most amazing insights. He has completely changed my life and that of everybody involved with Ashes to Awesome. We were buddies in grade school and through the podcast, we've reconnected after like 25 years apart. And now I talk to him three or four times a day. He is an amazing human being. I can tell you that whatever your stripe in life is, listening to him will help. Then on the weekends, we have uh, Dr. Lisa, who is a psychiatrist that specializes in addiction, that comes on the show and... We discuss different modalities, and we bring in other professionals. And at the end of the day, though, it's it's truly enlightening. And, and both of these people are amazing. I am, every day, I am blessed to have them in my life. They both sound They're really good to listen to. Yeah. Both of those episodes are, are are powerful and helpful. And 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 I hope that if you know you've listened so far and you know you'd like check those out days in the weekends. Oh, absolutely. It went from six episodes down to three now, which I've done just over the last few weeks. So now what we do, instead of trying to 
jam all of these different features into one week is we kept Wednesdays and the weekend ramble because they're both the most helpful to the listener, I believe. And then for the rest of the week, we rotate the other weekly features. So instead of every Monday being Memorial Monday and every Tuesday being a recovery day and every Thursday being a funny day and every Friday being a family day, we rotate through the different features every week. So this week there'll be a family Friday because, you know, I'm recording with you. And, and so next week there'll be a Memorial Monday and a Tuesday, the one after that, and, and so on and so forth. So that we're only doing three episodes in a week. And if I'm going to be honest... A lot of it had to do with the heaviness that came with doing Mondays and Fridays every week. They're just too heavy. And uh, for my own personal well-being, I had to That's step right. back. you got to take care of yourself. Me too, one. All right, Tina. Well, we're having some tech issues, so I, I think it's probably best that we kind of move towards the end of the episode. And, and it, it's unfortunate because I know your story is, it's really got me here. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. You're what I like to call a warrior of love. You know, I, I've, I have them on the show sometimes, and... <sighs> you're also a conscripted soldier, and 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 for that I am sorry that uh, that you have to be that way. And, and and I hope I hope that maybe this is it. Maybe maybe a little bit of sobriety in jail is what it takes, and and maybe she comes out of this and, and moves on to a to a better life. And that's all you can do is that's the hope. Right? And, and, that's you know, right. Um, yeah, your grandbabies are sure lucky to have you in their life. You know, and I'm, I'm thank my, you. My heart is warm knowing that, that that you've got their back. So that that that's something, right? But um, that brings us to my favorite part of the show, and that's the daily gratitudes. Today's daily gratitudes are brought to you by Yacha Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen, and they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yachtracenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And now here's your daily gratitudes. Now, when I have a guest on, as, as we talked about ahead of time, uh, I do like to get some, some, some things that you'd be grateful for. If, uh, if you got a few, I know so this, these are the times when we need to find them the most, right? When we need to focus on those things. So, so you got a few things you're, you're grateful for you want to share? I do. I'm grateful that she's still alive because when you're dealing with this, that is a huge gratitude. And I know it sounds funny, but I'm grateful she's in jail because right now she's sober and she's safe. I'm grateful that my grandkids are safe. I love them with all of my being. And I'm grateful to you for trying to do what you do. It matters. Thank you. Um, you know, a little bit of validation here and there is, uh, you know, it's nice and, well, maybe even necessary. You know, I, I'm human too, so. Um, and, and for the final gratitude, guys, it's, it's you, the listeners. Um, whatever you're doing, please keep doing it. You, you know, you're sharing and, and you're talking about the episodes and, and, and our, our, our listener base keeps growing. You know, if you're on Spotify, if you could comment, if you're on Apple or uh, iTunes, um, if you could rate and review, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. Come to the Facebook page, the TikTok, the Instagrams. We're all over the place. You know, and every time you do any of the, one of these things, you're getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, go to a meeting, call into detox, do whatever the hell it is got to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you are the loved one of somebody who is suffering an addiction, 
just taking the time to listen to our conversation. If you could just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings them back. <laughs>